everyone I know, at least here in Texas, in the southern part of Texas, it's cold and dreary and awful out. But happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. And in, I think it's Heritage Day afterwards. One of those. Indigenous people, Heritage Day is on Friday also. I try to keep up. I probably am wrong. Please don't come for me. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard, you guys. But you guys listening to Author Talk with me, Amy Fern Russell, and our lovely author guest today is Kev Harrison. So you guys, how was everybody's weekend? Mine was crazy because it was raining. I was sick. Hey, Greg, Mr. Kelso. I was sick, so I actually... Last week, if you guys can't tell, I did not have my energy last week. I was battling getting over the flu, and then it turned into a, a bacterial infection in my airways, and so I'm highly medicated, and we're doing so much better, okay? Because we're over here on antibiotics, steroids, nebulizer, cough syrup, everything. Hey, James Hill. So it's a fabulous day in the neck woods of Amy because I'm feeling a lot better. I'm no longer at 80%, we're at 100%. But you guys, a week from this Thursday, the 12 days of page turners start because we're hitting December 1st. So you know that I'm gearing up for that 100%. But what all did you guys do this weekend? Russell, you just popped on, I didn't hear much from you. What did you do this weekend? So we drove from Atlanta, Georgia to Houston, Texas this weekend. And the one thing that struck me is, uh, when you're driving through Mississippi and Louisiana, I've never seen so many uh, hiked up pickup trucks, four wheel drive with giant tires, spitting mud. Yeah. I, I thought I was going to get run over four or five times. These are the biggest oh. things. And it's, it was, it was almost a stereotype. Uh, yeah. I actually would love to drive one, but it's almost a stereotype. Georgia didn't see anything. Alabama, the roads are so great driving through Alabama, didn't see anything. Mississippi and Louisiana, I, these trucks were everywhere. Yeah. I would love to have one, by the way. <laughs> well, they are, they are great for mudding and, you know, not great for short people because we got to get a run and start to get up in there or climb the tires. You know, it's kind of one of those things. But they <laughs> would be so much fun for mudding and everything, especially with the amount of like misty rain that we have currently but well, i could see you in one russell i could see it like a yeah. monster truck for you it'd be kind of cool i'd like it anyway that was the biggest thing in my weekend i'm in houston freezing to death i think i brought this weather from atlanta with me well can you send it send it back okay i will yes oh wow mr james hill went to the miami book fair and he sold out of his emerald lady congratulations mr hill that's awesome i love it and i love all of your photos so kev harrison what did you do this weekend uh this weekend what did i do on um saturday was pretty chilled because i'm i've also been getting over uh covid i had it for the first time about three weeks ago it was mm -hmm. rubbish don't recommend oh. it at all. Um, and then uh, then Sunday, one of my friends, um, his girlfriend is a Brazilian singer. Um, and so we went to see her like sing and there was a beer festival on. So I just tried a bunch of beers and listened to this Brazilian lady singing. So yeah, all around, not bad at all. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to get well. Yeah, Absolutely. it is. That's <laughs> Go to awesome. a beer fest. <laughs> I love, I love that. I've had, I had COVID once, but it, the one that I had just felt like really bad allergies. It wasn't full blown. 
but the flu that I had was awful. I would have rather walked in front of a bus. It was awful. Yeah. Straight up awful. Yes. Fern, what about you? What did you do this weekend? I watched the opening of World Cup soccer, of course. I mean, that was that was the highlight of my weekend. And it's what I'm going to be doing pretty much for, you know, the next 28 days is just you know, everybody here knows I'm not a, I'm not a sports fan. I don't watch sports. I don't follow sports. I don't care about sports. But every four years, mm -hmm. World Cup soccer happens. And that's when Fern all of a sudden is like the sports fanatic, getting up at four in the morning to watch games. I mean, you know, yes. And, and I'm fully awake, which is really bizarre. Like, you know, if I have to get up to go to work, I have to seriously caffeinate to make it, but like World Cup soccer, 4 a.m., yes, I'm there, baby, I'm fully on. It's like not even funny. But England played a few minutes ago and yes. they they won, they won their match like mega. They, they did me won. proud, they really oh. did. They really did, oh my God. And they're a beautiful team, beautiful team. And coordinated, the, the dance of the ball going here and there, beautiful control. I just love that. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Great football. Real Camp, football. Camp, where are you from? Well, I'm from England, um, yeah. but I live in Portugal. So I'm okay. very complicated. I totally, that is not complicated. That is very natural <laughs> for an Englishman to live in Portugal, as we all know. And true, the reason true. I ask is because what Fern was saying, I got to tell you, since we're, she brought up the World Cup, I got to tell you, I hate the what, English soccer or football, as you would put it. I much prefer Brazilian style. Okay. Yeah, I can take that. I can accept oh, that. Oh, you're going to take that? I thought I was going to yeah. start a fight, Amy. You no. Start. They won't put no. up with that kind of comedy. Him and, him and Fern, before we got on, they were full on talking about it. And I'm over here like I didn't even... This, okay, you guys, um, we're going to have a dumb Amy moment, okay? We should just classify a segment of a one. dumb Amy. I know, just one. Just one today, okay? But I was not aware of, or maybe I'm just not caffeinated enough. I was totally unaware that the U.S. had a soccer team. I'm not even going to lie. Like, I, in my life, it's football and baseball, right? Like, that's my life. And so I wasn't aware of it. So it's a, that's a, the... Dumb Amy's segment of the show, I guess, is how we're gonna label label that for sure. But no, I mean they were having a full blown World Cup conversation, and I was like, I don't know. Well, yeah, Canada, Canada is in too. I I don't know how often Canada has been. I I don't think they make it to the World Cup very often. I think only like two or three times in the past in total. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they brought. But um, yes, I mean, England had a beautiful team this time. They have a beautiful team. But I'm with you, Russell, because Brazilian football, there's something about the Latin football versus yeah. the more European. It's more aggressive, I think. But I'm just trying to start a fight with Kevin. He's apparently on his good interview, author, behavior I hate that behavior. I got to try to get to it. Okay. I didn't give you a disclaimer, Kev. That is my fault. Okay. Mr. Russell wasn't on, but 
feel free to jump in and banter with Russell because if not, he will target you. Like it's just that's fine. And, and he does it with us too. It's it's his way of showing endearment and love. It's what we've classified it as. So that's just feel free to jump in. None of us are sensitive or easily offended by any means at all. That's why we are so great at being friends and we've done this for seven years now coming up. But Mr. Russell, before you chime in on your podcast, let me tell everyone where they can find us and then you can tell everybody the good news. So you guys, if you haven't already saved us on your podcast that you listen to on all the channels, we are on all of them. Spotify, Stitcher, Good, uh, what is it? Good Pods, Amazon, Apple, Google Play. Everywhere that you can listen to a podcast, you can listen to us. If you want to watch me talk with my hands and be super animated and all of us make fun of each other, make sure you go over to our Facebook group and join it. It's We will accept you to join it and interact. We love talking and interacting with you guys, getting your guys' feedback. And you can go and follow or befriend all of us on social media. We are all open books, so you're more than welcome. But Russell, tell them about our good news. Well, our good news was that uh, we are top 10 book independent book podcasts in America. And we're a little shocked. It's just three friends and a new author. It's like sitting around having coffee, talking to Kev today. And... Uh, can't get him upset because he's way too well behaved, apparently. But uh, we thank people that are listening to us on our podcast. And they can, if they want to know more about us or see some of our old shows, they can join our, our Facebook page and see it there. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We also have a YouTube channel, you guys. But exciting things are happening for us coming in January, which we will talk about in December, what all is happening for Author Talk and everything moving forward. It's going to be a good thing. I mentioned it earlier. I will mention it again before we dive into our author interview. The 12 Days of Page Runners, you guys, is one week from this Thursday. New authors every night, five to six authors every night for 11 days. And on the 12th day, it is a free-for-all. We have over 60 authors this year. So, and they're all doing a holiday promotion or giveaway of their books. So make sure you turn in. It's all genres every night, different authors, never the same author until on the 12th. And whoever wants to come participate, that is your last day to get their holiday promotion because we all on Author Talk are firm believers that the best gift you can give someone this holiday season is a book and a new read and take them out of reality and just let them escape for a little bit. And we are huge advocates for that. But with all of that being said, talking about books, which makes all of us happy, Fern Brady, take it away. All right. Well, Kev, I have questions because I was surfing your website and I was captivated by the idea of folkloric horror. Okay. And okay. so I want to know, like, first of all, I want I want you to give us like what what is it right the definition of folkloric horror what do you how do you define it and and what drew you to writing in that particular genre oh, this is a really interesting question so um obviously folklore is kind of like the old stories that exist in whatever place where you are um around the world and and places where you visit as well um and i find that a lot of these stories are quite horrific in their contents, because a lot of those stories are kind of made up as like 
lessons or warnings for kids, you know, to, you know, don't don't tell lies about wolf attacks because you'll get, you know, eaten by a real wolf one day, you know, classic kind of example of a folklore story that kind of has a horrific end to it. Um, and so I've been quite lucky to travel to quite a lot of different places and live in quite a lot of different places in my life. Like um, I was quite transient in the UK when I was growing up. And then about age 30, I moved to Turkey, lived there for a while, then lived in Poland for three years. Now I've been living in Portugal for eight years. So I've seen quite a lot of the world. And one thing that always really like lights me up when I'm in those places is like finding out about the stories, like, you know, what are the monsters in their culture? Like what are the things that scare little kids at night? You know, that kind of thing. It just, I just find that stuff really fascinating. So, so that's where it all kind of comes from. And, uh, and yeah, when I started writing fiction, it just felt like the most natural way to go. So yeah, my first novella was based on Polish folklore, a character of Baba Yaga. And, um, and it's just gone on from there really. Brother Grimm, right? I mean, can y'all hear me? It's from the other mic. Okay. The Brothers Grimm fairy tales. They're, they're, they're the original one, the Disney version. Right? They're always, like you said, a little horrific and stuff. So tell me a little bit about how that influenced your books. Like, how did that show up in your, in your, in your book? Um, yeah, I mean, I completely get what you're saying. Like the whole kind of Disneyification of uh, folk tales is quite um, prevalent these days. Um, but yeah, there is kind of this sense, like you say, from things like the Brothers Grimm, um, of you know telling these stories in a more raw kind of way, with you know less sanitized, less sort of child friendly. And so when I'm writing, I mean, a lot of what I read. I do read some other folk folkloric horror stuff, but I also read quite widely within uh, horror, dark fantasy, sci-fi kind of genres as well, other fantasy as well, uh, mostly genre stuff. And so a lot of my influences um, from writing, uh, that I, from, from reading, sorry, um, are in fact, you know, more sort of full-blooded horror, if you like. So while I'm writing stuff which kind of has that childlike fairy tale kind of backdrop to it. I still want it to resonate with uh, adult authors and I still want it to, if not scare people, then certainly give people a sense of dread and discomfort. All right, I, I'm just gonna test. Can everybody hear me? Yes? Yeah, much better. You're good, <laughs> much better. Yeah, I don't know what the tech issues are today, so, but. Um, okay, so one of the things that really captivated me on your website is you have this picture of uh, of a little fairy, um, and you were talking about how that picture inspired one of your stories. And I think that's fascinating because you know we don't often have authors who are inspired by art necessarily. So I'd love to to hear about like how do you find the art that inspires you, and what about this particular one? Um, you know, kind of caught your attention and your imagination for for your story. Sure, yeah. Um, actually, there's a community on Twitter that I kind of uh, dip into quite often, which is um, Folklore Thursday. Um, you know, and obviously being folklore kind of uh, fanatic for me, that's like a really exciting hashtag that I see 
pretty much every week uh, various entries. And one that pops up um, was by a French person. Um, and they were talking about this fairy. Um, and, you know, we all think of fairies like, you know, Tinkerbell from Peter Pan and this kind of thing. Fairies are all lovely and sweet and nice. But no, um, in in kind of you know historic stories, we see fairies as like, you know, really monsters in, in, in a very truest sense. And so this particular fairy um, lives in a place in France, um, in, in, you know, in theory, in theory, um, probably not really, we hope. Um, and uh, she actually kind of harnesses the power of the tides during storms. This is the one. Yes, thank you. Um, and she harnesses the power of the tides during storms. And she basically only allows the storm to end when she's kind of sated herself with like souls basically so she like eats souls to, to sustain herself um and then only when she's had enough does she kind of let the wind die down and the storm die down and you know anyone who's still alive to kind of escape with their lives and i just thought what a what a crazy story and this picture was attached and this is from an old um folklore book i think it's like 19th century or something um from that region and when i saw it i was just like oh my god yeah this is uh this is happening. So that's actually the book I'm writing right now. And actually in the summer this year, the late summer in September, I actually managed to go to the place in France where this fairy supposedly lives. And there's like a big tunnel with like um, stones that are like thousands of years old stacked on top of each other. Um, there's all kinds of stuff around the town, like based around fairies, because these people still totally buy into this idea that there are these fairies living in their forest. It's really crazy. Where is this? Where is this town in France? Where is this in France? Uh, there's basically, there's a city called um, Saint-Malo, which is like on the coast. And there's another city just inland called Rennes. And it's kind of between those two. So it's like a small kind of, it's in uh, the, the province called Brittany. Um, and yeah, so I'm writing this book at the moment and I'm having a ball writing it, truly. Yeah, and that kind of brings up the whole um you know, thing for authors, we do a lot of research. And sometimes the research can get real fun because we get to go places. And I mean, you were talking a little bit about how you had an opportunity in your life just to live in different places and how that has influenced your writing. Um, do you find yourself doing a lot of research for these stories? You know, uh, how much research do you, would you say that you're doing into these and, and you know, to draw from? I'm sure you guys, with your experience, probably know that it's not even just about the stories, is it? It's kind of like, what do people eat in this area? What names are common in this area? And so you're kind of, con I find that whenever I've got um, my uh, manuscripts open, I'm writing, I'm, I'm constantly kind of dipping into a, a browser window here or checking, you know, what is the most common term used for whatever in that area you know to try and make the speech authentic and that kind of thing so so i think research is kind of a constant uh yeah it, it is fun I, I like you say it is actually like a really fun and interesting part of it but it does kind of involve yeah quite a lot of of work during that process both in the beginning when you're trying to figure out what to do but also during the writing as well do you find yourself going down rabbit holes because like i find myself you know when i research I can just accidentally spend hours, you know, accidentally spend hours going in, you know, a different who crazy idea, you know. I definitely find that. Yeah. And I find occasionally those rabbit holes are kind of useful um, because they have a very specific entity for the devil in that region, which I found by 
going down sort of a like a two hour sort of rabbit hole of like oh this is interesting oh what's that and then suddenly it's like oh god it's 5 p.m and i've written eight words today so <laughs> this is not good but at least i did come out with something which eventually will become another plot point so that was helpful i love that so as a as just in general i love to know what was the first moment that you said you know i want to be a writer what what drew you to being a writer because to me that's always such a cool thing to know about all the authors that we interview is like how our paths in many ways can be similar but at the same time they're unique to each individual what what made you say you know what i'm a writer i i want to write a book and you know i'm gonna go for it yeah i, I think i always kind of written and i'd always written uh, fiction in particular i'd done some blogging as well previously like to, to do a traveling which i enjoyed a lot um, but when I really knew that this was something that I really wanted to do, um, I basically, um, I had a breakup with a partner, a long-term partner, and I'd been in Portugal for about three months at the time. And, uh, it here, I don't know if you know, but in the winter, it's like the only time of the year when it's cold, basically the rest of the year is like really warm spring, summer, autumn, really warm, really lovely sunshine all the time. Then you get these like six weeks of winter when it's just like raining all the time, it's freezing cold in the house because the houses are not made very well. So I was sitting there in my house, like Christmas alone, and just like going, oh geez, this is this really sucks. Um, and then, um, and there was, a, I saw a competition for a, uh, a youth horror writing competition. And I was at the very end of what they considered youth, but I was like, okay, fine, let's go for it. So I wrote a horror story, um, uh, which is also based around some local folklore from Lisbon actually, to do with uh, street art. And uh, I sent it to one of my friends who's an editor uh, and is the owner of This Is Horror. And uh, I said to him, you know, be blunt, you know, don't don't sugarcoat it. If Tell me if this is any good or if it's just a load of garbage. And uh, he read it and he said, yeah, I think there's some really promising stuff here. And he gave me a couple of pointers and I submitted the story and uh, I ended up winning second prize. Hurrah. Um, and so that got published. And I, I don't know about you guys in your experience, but this thing of like the story getting published made me go oh this is a good feeling i would quite like to have this again <laughs> and then it kind of snowballed from there and i started writing a lot of short stories actually before i wrote any books i wrote about 50 or 60 short stories about 20 of which got accepted for, for uh, publication and the others obviously you know just went in a drawer somewhere um but yeah that, that's kind of how i came to it mm. Did you find um, find it difficult to go from being a short story writer to writing a novel length volume? Was that a bit of a transition? How did you find that? My goodness, yes. Um, uh, because because you get so used to you know that kind of neat like sort of two, three, four, five thousand kind of word you know sort of like um, like establishing your idea and then finding your way to a conclusion that's satisfying and i think it's a real it's a real skill in itself um but then uh i wanted to write uh, a short story funnily enough um about this baba yaga myth that i'd read about when i was in poland and this story just snowballed and it ended up being a novella of about thirty-three thousand words um and so i managed to sell it which was great and uh, a publishing house called lycan valley press put it out and uh, yeah, so that was that was really good. But the first novel I've written, actually, I just finished at the beginning of this year, and I've just sold it to Bridges Gate Press, and they're going to put it out ne not next year, but twenty twenty four, spring twenty twenty four, and that's called Shadow of the Hidden, and that's set in the Middle East, which I'm really excited about because it's got gin 
and all kinds of fun stuff like that in it. That is awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And I know that you have a new book, right? Mm. Um, the title is Below, right? Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about it. What what is it about? And you know, what inspired you for that for that story? Yeah, so Below basically is actually set in the USA, um, even though um, the, the cast is primarily uh, British. So basically there's a guy called Nick, who's the protagonist, and he, um, his, his grandfather um, was a miner at the very, very back end of the gold rush in the 1950s. And um, he went to the USA for a big opportunity from Wales um, to, you know, like back into the gold rush to make just a bit of cash basically and bring it back to his uh, family. And uh, when he'd been there for a short time, there was a cave in and he kind of was the hero. He kind of helped to keep the mine entrance up open while some other miners escaped, but ultimately was buried alive. And um, because this guy, Nick's uh, grandmother, was then sort of bringing up her family as a single mother at a time when it was not really respected to do that kind of thing, um, he wanted to kind of like renovate his grandfather's um, legacy, as it were. And he gets this opportunity to do so by uh, a TV company, like an adventure TV travel kind of company saying, we'll give you the money, we'll front up the cash for you to do this uh, documentary, and then we'll build a museum on the site to explain what happened. When he gets there, things are not so straightforward because it seems like there is something in the mine. <laughs> I love the artwork. I love the the hand with the claws. Oh, that just, you know, yes. It brings to mind all the horrible monsters that could possibly come and claw you in the middle of the night when you stick your foot out of the covers. That's kind of, you know, you know that that feeling. That's what I when I saw your cover for the first time and that claw, that's what I thought about like, you know, in the middle of the night you have your foot out and you're afraid some something's going to grab it. Yeah, absolutely it was great it was great the the, the cover artist is a guy called um, keelan patrick burke and he does he does quite a lot of art that that's all terrific but when he showed me this uh i, just, I actually got sent an email by the publisher saying is this okay and i was like is, is that a joke <laughs> like okay okay it's not an adjective i would use this like i need to use something much much more superlative than okay yes yeah, wonderful wonderful cover i think it sells the book by itself to be honest and I have to tell you, I mean, that that is something that's really cool about your publisher, because a lot of times um, publishers don't really care whether or not the the author actually likes their cover. You know, um, oftentimes the publishers are just like, OK, this is going to be your cover. And, you know, if you like it, that's awesome. And if you don't, well, too bad, because that's what yeah. we're going with. So it's it's really cool that you have a, a publisher that actually, you know, welcomes, you know, thoughts on on your cover art um how did you feel with with your publishing process i mean i know you you were looking for a publisher for some time and you know a lot of authors that may be listening to us may be searching for publishers um how how was that journey for you what were some of the challenges to being able to find a good publisher that you felt good with um you know share a little bit of your journey to publishing yeah, sure. So um, the first publisher that I was with, um, uh, Lycan Valley Press, who put out um, The Balance, um, they've been terrific. One of the real advantages they have 
is that the uh, one of the co-owner of the press or the owner of the press, um, her uh, husband is also a professional audiobook narrator. So they have like an in-house studio for doing audiobooks, which is terrific because it means you can reach that other audience that perhaps you can't just through print or ebooks alone. So that's really, really good. Um, with Bridget's Gate, like uh, the people that I that brought out below and that are bringing out my my novel uh, in 2024, um, like you were saying about cover art, and I agree, like a lot of the time it's kind of like, here's the cover, you know, deal. Um, whereas actually, even in their contracts, they have a clause which says, you know, like um, to whatever extent possible, will work with the author to get the kind of cover art that they're looking for. So, I mean, this kind of attention to detail and like sort of collaboration in the process, it just, it's the sort of thing that makes me feel very comfortable working with them. And that's been kind of indicative of the whole process. They've been very supportive, um, very open to suggestions and ideas and yeah, just just good people to work with generally, to be honest. Yeah, so very lucky on that, on that count. And see, that's really cool. I mean, I think that that's one of the harder parts of being a writer. You were talking about earlier, you know, the feeling that you get of vindication or, you know, kind of a blessing, like, yes, we can do this. You are a writer because you got, you know, you get published. But a lot of times um, authors don't, you know, get that. So sometimes you have to pull that out of yourself. You know, we talk a lot about imposter syndromes. You know, do you feel like you ever suffer from that? Like, do you ever have those moments of like self-doubt of like, you know, what am I doing? You know, is this, is this, you know, do I really think this is going to work? You know, do you ever suffer with that? And what do you do to, to help yourself keep going? Cause I know in, and sometimes it's hard for writers to, to believe in themselves. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that imposter syndrome is just a part of life. Like when you're a creator, uh, it's very interesting. Actually. Um, I saw recently, uh, Josh Malaman, who wrote Bird Box and lots of other, you know, massive selling books saying online, you know, that uh, still suffer with imposter syndrome every single time I write a book. And that kind of thing makes me feel a lot better in a twisted way, because it's like, well, if he's still feeling it, then it's OK for me to still feel it. You know, um, I think the best way to get through it is just to try and develop a thick skin. I mean, it isn't easy because like uh, I definitely have those times where I question like, you know, uh, oh God, am I sure that this is going to work out? Am I sure that, you know, that this is worth all the energy that that you put into it? Um, especially being like relatively early in my writing career, you know, there's a lot more no's than there are yeses, a lot more lumps in the road than there are smooth patches. Um, but yeah, I think you just got to roll with the punches and just keep believing that, you know, you're going to find your audience somewhere, I think. And I think that's so true because um, many times we feel like uh, when we get rejected or someone doesn't like our work, you know, we, we take it very deeply and it's important to remember it is art. It is art. And so it's not going to necessarily appeal to everybody. Even, even all horror lovers may not particularly, you know, connect to this one, but it, but you have your audience and the tale will find its, its connection. Um, what has been some of the challenges that you find as you are beginning to publish your, your books, you've got your publisher, what are some of the, your challenges as an author to connect to those audiences, to find those places where the, your readership is, you know, and connect to them? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I feel this quite a lot being in a non-English language speaking country, like living in Portugal, because 
um, I think like, so quite often I see some of my some of my friends and and peers uh, as writers going to conferences and this kind of thing, and that's infinitely more limited here to have the face-to-face -face connection so i think it makes things like social media and opportunities like this thank you guys thank you um you know all the more valuable for someone like me because i am kind of physically dislocated from that community um but yeah i mean i've got like uh i've, I've got quite a strong following on twitter and um and i find also that like one of the best ways to kind of find an audience for your own work is to lift up the work of others that you believe in and I, I try to be really honest with it you know if i like something i'll say i like it if i don't like it i won't say i like it because that just it's just disingenuous and it kind of people get upset by it i think understandably um but yeah so i try to the time i spend on on social media i probably spend more of my time pushing the work of others um that i've enjoyed that are kind of in my field more than pushing my own work and i think that that also kind of leads people to have confidence i guess in your taste and maybe take a chance on what you're putting out there as well yeah see i love that so i haven't written a book kev i'm to be honest, i'm the only one on this call that hasn't written a book okay i just work yet with yet amy everybody says that i just work with authors i live vicariously through you right i do the more book marketing pr book launches that's my realm right makes me happy and what you just said and what you do for social media is what the seven years we've been doing this and like the 13 that I've been working with books and stuff, I say all the time, which is sharing other people's works and what you enjoy reading and not so much selling your book because it comes across more genuine to your readers and yes. they're more likely to be like, you know what, I like you because you don't just promote yourself. like you read other people's stuff than just your own work. You don't just want my money to buy your book. Like you just love readers and reading and you are a reader yourself, right? So you are just like the trophy child to me today. And I absolutely, yes, I absolutely love it. But I would love to know, I always ask authors this question when I'm meeting with them, going to work with them or whatever, but how long does it generally take you to write your books and your short stories or your realm that you're in that's a really good question as well and i think that's changed a little bit um because the pandemic um i'm my day job is that i'm a teacher i'm an english teacher um and the pandemic really kind of like exploded my uh mm -hmm. life in a lot of ways uh, as it did for many people of course um and so my like workload like massively uplifted during the during the pandemic because suddenly it was like you know oh you're you're working online so you can do double the classes and it's like well right? no, actually yeah. no um and so um whereas the first novella i wrote the balance took about four months to draft first of all the okay. novel that i wrote like finished at the beginning of this year i think was in the drafting process for about a year um with you know other short stories and things kind of going on at the same time sort of concurrently but yeah so it really depends um how it's going the new one i'm already like 15 16k in uh, nice. And it's only about five, six weeks of writing. So yeah, it's going much better because I'm right nice. teaching less. Yeah. Well, you're so you're teaching less, so your day job has calmed down a little bit. But exactly. you've gotten more writing and stuff under your belt, so you're just becoming more, you know, familiar with your writing style. Right? Is kind of mm. how I say it. And I know everybody has a different writing style. Right? Some are pantsers. Some are, I don't know, disorganized. I can't think of the other words. The discovery and the um and the plot yeah. the plotters 
Thank are you. Know. Which are you? Because that's a great question. I love to know um, the writing process. Like, are you a are you a plotter? Do you like have to hash out all the tales before you can jump into it, or are you kind of like, oh, I have this idea. I have all these, you know, notes on this particular, you know, tale that I want to play with, and you just jump in and see what happens. Uh, I started off as a pantser, um, just just completely just making it up as I went along, um, and. I think after some time, you kind of run into enough dead ends where you're just like, I, I need to do something about this. This is such a waste of my time. So I started doing like really simple outline documents, you know, just like um, giving myself milestones I want to hit, you know, at some stage of the book. And then how I get from milestone A to B is kind of like, you know, whatever, let's just see what happens. And that was kind of quite constructive. The new one I'm writing at the moment, the one about the fairies in France um, who uh, eat people's souls, um, uh, that has got two point of view characters. So because that because of that kind of going back and forth between this this boy and this French policewoman, um, I ended up writing probably the most detailed um, outline uh, document that I've written so far. Uh, but I'm on chapter 10 at the moment of about 20 something, 23, 24, and uh, already one of those chapters has been just like ripped up and thrown in the trash because the characters decided to do something else instead. I hate it when, I hate that, when your characters refuse to go along with your own plans. They, as they become more and more developed, they start doing what they want instead of what you want them to. And people think we are crazy when we say this, but it is completely true, isn't it? Like, um, yeah. they'll just like go, what are you doing? Why did you do that, you idiots? I was asked the other day if uh, I, how did I deal with the loneliness when I wrote? And my response, because I was, my response was, you're not lonely. I'm, it's a crowded, uh, chaotic world. And I go into this chaotic world with all these people. And five hours later, I wake up or I exactly. step out of this world. There's no loneliness. They and were trying shot. to shepherd those people as well. I mean, that's it's, even worse. And yeah. they were shocked. But, and you know, writing is not lonely. Writing is chaotic and full of people that's your own characters. And they're, they're, they are your companions. They are your companions. And it's kind of a shock. I don't know if you find this, Kev, but it's kind of a shock after you've been really in the zone and you're in your world and then you come out of it and you're like back in the real world and you're like, oh man, I wish I could just, you know, live over there, you know? Although it might not be the safest place to actually live, <laughs> you know? And, and also there's that thing as well, like when you when you kind of kill someone off and you're like, oh God, I feel, feel terrible. And you're just like mourning this person that has never existed um, for like a couple of hours. That's better, Kev, than when you kill someone off and you feel good about it. Well, sometimes you kill off characters and you're like, you feel good about it because I they needed to die, yes. you know? I, I mean, I hate to admit that, but there are some characters who just sort of need to die. Only in fiction. Only in fiction. Let's clarify. I was going to say, we are not contemplating any of that in real life. Do not be in it, okay? I promise. What stays in my head stays in my head, okay? I will not act on it. Absolutely. I promise. A hundred, a hundred percent. But, oh my gosh, we have talked about the World Cup, soccer, and had an Amy Dumb segment, which is new. So we always throw new stuff in there. But it has been such a fun conversation. Kev, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to do closing comments, questions, 
concerns, statements, whatever. Russell, you go first. I'm still crowded in talking about our characters in our head when we're writing. I got to tell you, when I told, I was, it was a table full of people. When I said there's no loneliness in writing, they were shocked. People were shocked about that. Anyway, thank you, Kev, for today. And I'm envious. I love Portugal. I've traveled through it. It's one of the most wonderful places with some of the most beautiful people I've ever been at. And I mean beautiful. If you come They're back, please good, uh, let me know. people. I will. Fern, what about you? Me, I'm just like um, loving this conversation. And especially because I feel like, you know, we, the comment about being lonely, not only are we not lonely because we live in a world populated with beings that are very real to us, but as a community of writers, you know, we have the people that connect with us, the people that we share our writing with, our developmental editor people who, you know, we love but also hate at the same time. And, you know, we have this really amazing uh, community that is unique because like you were saying, Kev, you know, you can lift each other up. You're yeah. not really in competition. You're really working together to build an audience for all of our books. And so I, I really feel like this is a really blessed profession in that regard. So, and I'm, I'm so happy to connect with you. I wish England the best. Nevertheless, I am rooting for the United States. We are going to have to beat England's butt. You know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, okay. I love it. But yeah, guys, thank it. you so much for, uh, for inviting me on to talk to you all. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I will keep rooting for England. I'm sorry. Um, my second choice is Argentina because I just think they've got a really nice squad. Um, uh, but yeah, and what you were saying about like the loneliness as well, I think there's there's that thing about characters. There's also the thing about the community, like you were saying, Fern. But I think there's also like within the community, there's also like the love of character as well, because, you know, when you're a reader, not just a writer, but a reader as well, you know, there are these characters from like classic or even, you know, niche kind of books that we've read. And you can you can talk to somebody about you know this person. You can feel like real love, real hate, real admiration for these people that are all just living in our minds, which is something like you say, really quite a blessed kind of place to be. I love that. So yeah, but thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it has been so much fun. That's we love doing this because we love hearing from authors, learning about their works because there are so many. And I am a huge advocate that we wouldn't have you know great entertainment if it wasn't for authors. Indie, small press, traditional, all realms, right? We love them all. So this has been so much fun and getting to know you and just you behind the writer and how you got started. Inspiration is what we thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. But you guys, this has been so much fun. We have author talk shorts coming up, highlighting the 12 days of Paige Turner authors. That is a mouthful of authors that are going to be featured that start one week from Thursday, you guys. But until then, everybody, we hope you all have a great Monday, a great week, and we'll catch you all next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.